Hey folks, I'm Nick D'Alessandro, and this is Wait 5 Minutes, a podcast about Florida by a Floridian. I had a different episode topic queued up for this week, a story about hockey in Florida. You're going to love that story. We'll talk about it next week for Thanksgiving week. There's nothing better than hockey at the holidays, but current events sometimes prompt you to make changes to the plan. History is, as always, startlingly present in the news, and I fear that people sometimes forget that not everything, not everyone knows the history of our nation when they talk about it in the present. History very much is still happening, and with the election of 2022 last week, a big historical topic has come into people's analysis and critique of Florida's election. It's a word you've probably been hearing everywhere. I want to help you understand what that term means and why it matters to this election. It's a very big, very loaded term. It is gerrymandering. G-E-R-R-Y-M-A-N-D-E-R-I-N-G. Gerrymandering. That's a spelling bee word, isn't it? First, before we get into what gerrymandering actually means, let's talk about the election itself. Let's talk about the results of the election of 2022. The first thing I want to talk about is the Florida amendments. This is not really related to gerrymandering. I just want to talk about what they are. We talked about these amendments. They were on the ballot. We talked about them a few weeks ago. We did a breakdown of them, and all three of them were not approved by Florida voters. All of them did go over 50%, but you need 60% approval from the electorate in order for them to pass, and only one of them even really got close, which was Amendment 3. So no changes to the state constitution, no tax rules, no abolition of the Constitution Review Commission, nothing changed on that front, which is really interesting to me. Usually at least one of those crosses the line, but not this time. We'll see what happens in 2024. I'm going to try to track some amendments, some ballots, some some things that are collecting signatures, attempting to get put on the ballot next year or our next election 2024. We'll see. We'll see how that goes, but it's very interesting. I think that would be fun. Anyway, a lot of other things happened in Florida, especially at the local level, at the legislative state level, and most importantly for the topic of this episode, at the congressional federal level. One story has caught national attention, and I think it's a very interesting one. Florida has just elected the youngest person currently to hold a seat in the U.S. Congress. People are calling him the first member of Generation Z to make it to Congress. His name is Maxwell Frost, and he's actually from right here in Orlando. He is serving the 10th Congressional District and beat his Republican opponent, Calvin Wimbish, with a staggering 19-point lead. That is a massive win for him and Democrats across the state. He clearly was prepared for this role. He spent the last several years of his life working as an actor activist and organizer. Clearly, he's got the experience and he'll be bringing a fresh voice to Congress. I'm eager to see what he does to represent Florida at the federal level and hopefully it's the beginning of a long trend of this new generation making a political impact. Also, it is strange for me to call him a new generation or there being a new generation. He is only one year younger than me. He's really showing up all of us other mid-20 Orlandoans. He's, he's really making us all look bad by succeeding at 25. <laughs> I wish him all the best. Maxwell Frost is a name to watch. Keep your eye out. I have a feeling he will do big things. But now for the big story of the 2022 election, a thing that Republican analysts were calling the Red Wave. Throughout the run-up to the 2022 election, Republican leaders were touting a red wave, meaning that across the country you'd be seeing a ton of Republican politicians take on new roles, flip blue districts, taking seats away from Democrats in various spots across the country. This is a very, very common trend in the midterm election following a new president. When Barack Obama, a Democrat, became the president in 2008, a huge red wave hit the nation in 2010, with a ton of Republicans taking new positions across the country, including folks like Marco Rubio, the senator from Florida. 
Then, in 2018, the midterm after Donald Trump, a Republican, became president, a large group of Democrats took seats across the country, including a group of Congress people that you may have heard referred to as the squad. Now, in 2022, in the midterm after Democrat Joe Biden became president, a similar trend was expected to hit the nation, where Republicans would take new seats across the country, including in the Senate, at the federal level, in Congress. The Senate, in particular, was of interest to both parties. The Senate has been split 50-50 since 2020, meaning many votes came down to a party-line tie, wherein the vice president, Democrat Kamala Harris, would break said tie, so most votes in the Senate went the Democrats' way as long as they made a tie. If Democrats took control of the Senate, there would be no tiebreaker needed. If Republicans took control, then the Democrats lost their tiebreaker advantage with VP Harris. It's looking, as of now, that the Senate will continue to be controlled by the Democrats, which means that that red wave did not come true. Some political analysts are calling this election the red wave that wasn't. But Republicans did take new seats in the House of Representatives in Congress, so now we have a split Congress. A Republican will take the role of Speaker of the House very soon, taking it from the Democrat Nancy Pelosi. A blue Senate, a red House with a blue executive branch, and a conservative-leaning Supreme Court were split all the way down, about as split as you can get. No matter what the future holds, a new government will take over very soon for the next two years. We shall see what follows. But while that may be the national conversation concerning the election, the election of 2022 in the state of Florida did prove that Republicans had more of a foothold in the state of Florida than many had realized. Both our governor and one of our two senators were up for re-election this year facing Democratic opponents, and both races were easily won by the Republican incumbents. Governor Ron DeSantis was re-elected with massive support, 59% of the vote over the Democrat Charlie Crist at 40. That's a 19-point lead. Quote, the biggest win for a Republican in the state's modern history, end quote. DeSantis himself called it a quote-unquote win for the ages. He's not wrong. I said last week this would be an election we remember, and I do believe it will be. What DeSantis does in the next few years is already in speculation, with many theorizing he may run for the Republican candidacy for president in 2024. Only time will tell. As for the Senate, Marco Rubio won his third term, meaning he will serve 18 consecutive years in the Senate. He beat the Democrat, Val Demings, by 16 points, another decisive victory for a Republican in the state of Florida. Florida politics reporter for Politico, Gary Finout, a reporter whose work I followed for many years, you should check him out, said that Florida, quote, has now transformed into a solidly red state. End quote. With Florida being one of the few states Donald Trump won in his re-election bid in 2020, and DeSantis and Rubio decisively winning the state races, it's clear that Republicans have more of a hold on the state than perhaps many realized. With Tallahassee, Gainesville, Orlando, and Miami remaining the only areas really to go blue, it's clear where Florida voters stand. However, many conversations in the state after the election, especially spoken by Democrats and their supporters, point to a specific qualm they have with something that has changed in the state. There was a redistricting at the state level that changed the voting map in Florida all over the board, but especially with our districts concerning the House of Representatives. What does that mean? How did that happen? What is the history of that? Well, that is what we are here to discuss. We're going to break down all of it because you should understand what people's complaints are and understand what will likely become a huge story in the years to come as another major election looms on the horizon in 2024. The history matters now more than ever. So let's talk about the history. We have to go back to the beginning. What exactly is gerrymandering? 
Gerrymandering is a term that is steeped in historical significance and is a term that is used frequently throughout the modern day to describe the way that voting maps are laid out across the country. Voting maps are complicated. They stretch across borders of cities and counties to create very specific districts in which people vote. Voting districts are very much a part of the modern election. They don't fit neatly into counties. They don't fit neatly into cities. They're drawn in specific ways. And that is where gerrymandering comes in, when voting districts are manipulated. According to Britannica, gerrymandering is simply defined as, quote, the practice of drawing the boundaries of electoral districts in a way that gives one political party an unfair advantage over its rivals or that dilutes the voting power of members of ethnic or linguistic minority groups. End quote. Britannica defines those as two separate types of gerrymandering. The first is partisan gerrymandering, and the second is racial gerrymandering. We're going to talk about both. In some cases, it is both partisan and racial gerrymandering. You'll see. It's a strange term, gerrymandering, and of course it has an unusual origin. It comes from the governor of Massachusetts way back in 1812. His name was Elbridge Jerry, spelled G-E-R-R-Y, just like in gerrymandering. Governor Jerry had a pretty nifty idea. He signed a bill to law that would make the state senate districts aligned in such a way that when the time came to vote for his state senate, his party, the Democratic Republicans, would see a lot of success because they had broken up the strongholds of opposing support and made each area more distinctly in favor of him and his Democratic Republican pals. The districts were so strangely shaped, so complicated and twisted to suit his interests that there was no logic to it besides the logic of creating districts exclusively for him and his friends to win. One satirical cartoonist named brace yourself for this name, named Elkanah Tisdale, he noticed how strange the districts were shaped and noted that one resembled a salamander. Well, salamanders, which are native to the United States, have these strange long bodies with long necks and long tails. They're funky little lizard guys. They can twist into, you know, they're just long little lizards. He said one district looked like a salamander, except it wasn't a salamander. It was a gerrymander. That's right. One of the most important terms in American history is a pun. Alcana Tisdale drew a pretty iconic satirical cartoon and published it in the Boston Gazette where he was an editor and a cartoon of a gerrymander straddling the other districts was cemented in history. The gerrymander is more of a dragon than a lizard, a beast here to strangle the other districts. Governor Jerry would leave the office that same year to serve as vice president to James Madison. This man had a prolific career. He signed the Declaration of Independence, but he is just remembered for a pun about his name. Ain't that just the way? Anyway, I want to make sure you understand what we're talking about here when we talk about controlling who is voting, what actually gerrymandering in practice is. A lot of sources use an elaborate piece of art to describe gerrymandering. It's This is not a visual medium, so I can't show it to you. I'll try my best to describe how it works, and I've got some help. Essentially, what you need to understand is that in a fair system, some districts would swing blue, some districts would swing red, because the districts evenly separate the neighborhoods and cities into portions that are equal and based on actual region and things like that. But when we start to gerrymander, the literal shapes of the districts lose all logic. They aren't shaped like counties or blocks or trapezoids anymore. You're seeing long, twisting districts. Districts with weird parts that jut off to include one more friendly section, one that creates more of a majority for one specific party in lines that don't make sense. There's these terms called cracking and packing. This article from populationeducation.org by Pete Bailey, it's titled A Brief History of How Gerrymandering Distorts U.S. Politics. I'll include a link. It, it explains it really, really well, and it 
explains what cracking and packing is. Basically, cracking would be separating a group of people who are all going to vote red or blue and separating them from each other and putting them in districts where they are the minority. And packing is putting a bunch of people who all kind of vote the same way into one district and saying, well, they're not going to influence the election of other districts. They're just going to influence their district because all of the people who vote for Democrats or Republicans are all packed into this one specific district. So they won't dilute the vote for other districts. It's, it's complicated and you see a lot of different versions of it. But Pete Bailey of Population Education says the following, quote, Let's say a Democratic-controlled state contains a large Republican-leaning population that is grouped close together and could be its own congressional district. The Democrats in office could crack this large group of Republicans in half and add the individual pieces to other heavily Democratic districts on either side. Instead of having two Democratic districts and one Republican district, the gerrymandered maps would lead to three likely democratic districts, end quote. Does that make sense? You split up a, a large group of people who are going to vote for a specific party and throw them into a, a district where the other party will win so they have no more power. That's really how gerrymandering works. It's, it's pretty much that easy. Huge shout out to Pete Bailey because that supremely clarifies the issue for me. You twist the population to serve your party's needs. That's it. If you look up gerrymandering maps from American history, you'll see what I'm talking about. There's no logic to the way that these districts are shaped. It's just a way to cheat an electorate. You control who votes in what area, so if you're in the majority in that area, you get to choose time and time again. And you know what the worst part is? Is that it works. It successfully skews the electorate toward the party that has gerrymandered the districts into its favor it succeeds for the party that has put the gerrymandered lines into place. Now, we've talked about partisan gerrymandering. Let's talk about racial gerrymandering. We have to go back to our friend Pete Bailey from Population Education for a moment. I will include, you, you really should read this article. It is great. Anyway, Mr. Bailey breaks down how racial gerrymandering works. He, he says that racial gerrymandering is used to break up the power of a quote-unquote protected minority. A protected minority means a group of people that are legally protected from discrimination based on race, religion, creed, etc. If you racially gerrymander an area with a large population of a protected minority group, you break up their ability to vote in favor of a politician that could be potentially serving them. They could choose their actual representative. If you break up their power as a group, they cannot vote for what they want. In 1965, with the hugely important passing of the Voting Rights Act of 1965, gerrymandered voting maps like this were made illegal. In 1986, the rules of protecting against racial gerrymandering became even more clearly defined with a Supreme Court case called Thornburg v. Gingles. This case began in North Carolina. A voting district map had been put in the state in 1982, and the black citizens of the state brought suit against those districts. They said that it violated the Voting Rights Act of 1965, and it made it all the way to the Supreme Court. In a unanimous decision, the court sided with the citizens and set solid rules in place about protecting against racial gerrymandering. The rules they set are as follows. We'll talk about them after I read them. Quote, one, the minority group must be able to demonstrate that it is sufficiently large and geographically compact to constitute a majority in single member district. Two, the minority group must be able to show that it is politically cohesive. Three, the minority must be able to demonstrate that the white majority votes sufficiently as a block to enable it usually to defeat the minority's preferred candidate. 
end quote. So what that means is that these groups uh, of non-white citizens get to vote for people who will actually represent them in the legislature, Senate, Congress, wherever, and they are choosing candidates that they are choosing and is different from what they believe their white neighbors would be voting for. They would have to bring that and meet those criteria in order for a map to be thrown out, but it is important to have this precedent set in place. Theoretically, these rules can protect voting groups, groups of non-white voters, and allow them to have voice in their community without redistricting diluting their voting power. It isn't perfect. Some of the language feels a little dated to me, but it is a protection for a reason, and it worked. Quote, after the Thornburg v. Gingles ruling, many newly drawn districts in the South elected their first African-American representatives since Reconstruction, end quote. And for the most part, it does its job. About a quarter of the congressional districts in the nation are majority minority. And if these rules work, those districts are protected from being broken up. Which brings us back to Florida and how all of these things apply to the 2022 election. See, Florida got redistricted in the last year. What does that mean? Well, we have a census every 10 years, right? The, the nation does. They call that decennial every 10 years. And the decennial census allows the government lots of important information about the people of the United States, who we are, where we live, how we live, etc. The census has been a population document for centuries, and its impacts on American history and American historical research cannot be overstated. It's a huge part of our work. But once a census is over, Redistricting can occur. Here's what the Florida state government has to say on the matter. Quote, the Florida Constitution directs the legislature to redraw district boundaries at its regular session in the second year following each decennial census. End quote. The Florida state government defines redistricting as, quote, the redrawing of congressional and state legislative districts to adjust for uneven growth rates in different parts of the state. Districts determine which voters participate in which election. End quote. So there's no secret here. It's right on the tin. With the census now done, the state government is going to change the voting districts based on what they see from the census. Based on population changes, the districts need to shift, according to the state government. So this year, as the election approached, the state government set to work redistricting Florida, and the new maps drawn were met with immediate and total criticism. Let's begin with an analysis by CNN. This is an article titled Redistricting in Florida, last updated on Election Day, November 8th, 2022. Here's what they have to say. Quote, Florida's new congressional map drawn by Republican Governor Ron DeSantis likely gives the GOP an advantage in at least 18 out of 28 districts. Florida's congressional delegation currently includes 16 Republicans. End quote. CNN goes on to say, quote, a circuit court had previously blocked the map because the judge said it unconstitutionally disenfranchised minority voters by breaking up a North Florida district represented by Democrat Al Lawson, who is black, end quote. It is very, very complicated. If you look at District 5, the district we're talking about, on a map, it is quite long. It stretches along the panhandle, basically from Tallahassee to Jacksonville. It is strangely shaped, perhaps the strangest shaped one on the old map, but it allowed black voters throughout that district to have the voting power that we were talking about. From CNN, they say, quote, DeSantis had insisted lawmakers send him a map that eliminated Lawson's 5th Congressional District, which the governor said was an unconstitutional gerrymander because it stretched 150 miles to connect black communities from Jacksonville to Tallahassee, 
end quote. Ron DeSantis repeatedly called this new map that he was drawing race neutral. He said that having the 5th Congressional District drawn in a way that originally was, was, was dividing, he said it was dividing the black residents of North Florida into their own district. He said that it, quote, divvies up people based on the color of their skin, end quote. DeSantis said, quote, that is wrong. That is not the way we've governed in the state of Florida. There has never been a district of that length and that shape that has been justifiable, end quote. The question remains, based on this specific district, was connecting these black communities so that they could have a voting block gerrymandering. Was that gerrymandering or was breaking those communities up gerrymandering? Was it gerrymandering before or is it gerrymandered now? Well, Al Lawson, who was the representative for this controversial district, was moved from the 5th district to the 2nd district and he handily lost in this election. The Republican, Neil Dunn, beat out Al Lawson 60 to 40. There's more. The census-based new voting districts in the state tells us which race is the majority within a specific voting district. This is from CNN as well. Quote, there are two additional white majority districts and one additional Hispanic majority district under DeSantis's map. Controversially, the new map no longer includes a black majority district in the state where black residents represented 15% of the population. End quote. Another detail is that Hispanic residents remain underrepresented in how many districts are Hispanic majority based on the percentage of actual Hispanic residents in the state of Florida, and white residents remained overrepresented with how many white majority districts there are compared to the population of white residents in the state of Florida. The debate of racial gerrymandering relies on your interpretation of that map. I'll include a link for you to survey them yourself. In a Florida Phoenix article by Mitch Perry, the headline tells the story, quote, Florida GOP flips three congressional seats and now has 20 members in delegation, end quote. The subhead reads, quote, DeSantis's redistricting map led to the addition of four Republican members, end quote. Four total new Republican seats from the state of Florida. That's three flipped seats and a fourth one that came in the form of a new district. The census actually gave us enough of a population growth to add a new district, which went Republican. All three districts that went Republican instead of Democrat, they flipped from blue to red, many of them doing so by huge numbers, including Al Lawson's loss by 20 points. They were districts that the Florida Phoenix states were changed in order to favor Republican voting blocks. The districts that went from blue to red, they were redistricted, and some say that they were redistricted to favor Republican candidates. A Democrat who lost in Pinellas County, a man named Eric Lynn, was defeated by eight points, the smallest of the four losses, but still a significant number. Eric Lynn wrote the night of his defeat, quote, while tonight's results were not what I wanted, when Ron DeSantis's illegal gerrymandered map gets thrown out by the courts, I will return and be your next representative in Congress, end quote. Two more things. The first being, none of this matters in who won governor or senator. Districts do not add up to an election. The votes are added up for the candidates on a statewide level. So these districts do not affect DeSantis' re-election or Marco Rubio's re-election. The districts affect the state and federal representatives, and that is why it has become so controversial in a time where every seat in Congress counts. The Republicans won the House and the Democrats won the Senate. Many of those supporting Republican seats in the House that allowed the House to go red came from Florida. Four whole new seats. So when we talk about the accusations of Florida and Ron DeSantis using gerrymandering practices, we're talking about its impact 
on the House of Representatives. If we want to talk about voter suppression in other ways, that's a whole other episode. So when people are saying the word redistricting about Ron DeSantis in Florida, they're not talking about his race. They're talking about the race for Congress. And it clearly had an impact. Lastly, I want to introduce you to the Gerrymandering Project. The Gerrymandering Project is based out of Princeton University. They use mathematics to calculate whether or not a state or congressional district is gerrymandered. They say about themselves, quote, The Gerrymandering Project does nonpartisan analysis to understand and eliminate partisan gerrymandering at a state-by-state -state level, end quote meaning they use math to make decisions without any bias, political or otherwise. Their work is used in governments to prove or disprove the exact complaints we're talking about. It's a very interesting project. I'm really interested in what they do. I'll include a link so you can check them out yourself. But one thing they do that is very interesting and very helpful is they assess the maps of voting districts, each individual map, Senate map, state legislature map, and most importantly in our case, they have analyzed the Florida Congressional District map. They analyzed it, they analyze all sorts of these maps, and then they give them a grade, just like the grades that you got in tests back in school. I'll include a link of their assessment of the Florida Congressional map, the map we've been talking about for this entire episode, so you can see for yourself, but I'll give you a little spoiler. Their analysis of this congressional map for the state of Florida, with an extremely unfair partisan bent, giving one party an advantage over the other, the 2022 Florida congressional map drawn by the office of Governor Ron DeSantis receives an F. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Wait 5 Minutes. I'm so glad that you are here, and I hope that you learned as much as I learned this week. Getting to talk about this topic is something I've wanted to do for a long time and something I hope to do more of in the months and years to come because it is... It's a big topic, and I think that it's something we should understand the history of and the very real present that we are living with in gerrymandering. It's, it's part of our lives, and we should understand how it works and what it does. So thank you for listening to this episode. I'm very glad I got to make it for you. If you enjoyed this episode, if you learned something as I did, I hope you give it a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or you can reach out to me on Instagram or Facebook at WFMPod, or you can send me an email at WFMPod at gmail.com. If you leave a review, it helps the show grow, and it means the world to me. And if you reach out to me on social media, I look forward to hearing from you. Truly, I love hearing from the people who listen to this show. So thank you for all of that. There was a lot of things talked about in this week's episode, some sources, some articles, some research that you really should look into to understand this more in depth because it is very, very important. And like I said, we're going to talk about it again. I cover the most important things for the information you need to hear to tell the cohesive narrative that I'm telling you, but there is always more to the story. So I highly encourage you to click on the links in the episode description and check out what is going on here in the state of Florida and the history of gerrymandering itself. A lot of Florida right now is also reeling from two hurricanes, Hurricane Ian and Hurricane Nicole. I'll include some links of ways you can support the communities on our coasts. We can support each other right now as the year comes to a close, and I highly recommend you check out those links and see what you can do for your neighbors. All of the music used in this episode was originally composed. All right, I will be back next week, like I told you, with a hockey episode. I am so excited to talk about hockey. Oh, man. <laughs> Have I ever done a hockey episode? 
I don't think so. This is our first hockey episode, so I'm very excited to talk about it. We're going to have a rip-roar in time, and I hope that your week leading up to Thanksgiving is wonderful. And if you don't celebrate Thanksgiving, I hope you have a wonderful week anyway. I will see you next Monday. Until then, be good to yourself, be good to others, and please, as always, drink more water. Have a great week. I will see you next Monday.